prayer and fasting that will lead us up to the Saturday right before Easter. And on the 41st Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Christ with a fullness, hopefully, that we've not had in a long time, having emptied ourselves through prayer and fasting. The focus of these 40 days, and I want to congratulate you guys. We have, uh, you know, there are 120 meals over 40 days. We have filled them like, I think, five times or something like that. And a lot of you are really stretching to do it, so way to go. And if you remember, what we're going to do during each meal that we're fasting is, one, pray through the spiritual warfare prayer, because we're duking it out with the powers of darkness that are darkening this world, with the real problem of America as well as the rest of the world. So pray through the spiritual warfare prayer. Secondly, pray for a breakthrough that you need personally or someone uh, that you love needs, or maybe several breakthroughs. Make that the focus. Of, of your of fasting. And then third, the way we get most aggressive in spiritual warfare, according to Paul in Ephesians 6, as we put on all the armor of God, is under it all, shotting our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So pray for some the soul of someone or several that you'd like to invite to the Easter service. And so what we're going to do this first Sunday of our 40 days of prayer and fasting is to launch it all by focusing on our most aggressive posture that we need to take, and that is getting out there and sharing the gospel. And Mark Hill, more than almost anyone I know, has a passion for going passionately into all the world. So he's going to be taking the lead both this Sunday as well as next Sunday when we're going to hear the the Haiti missions trip report. But uh, anyway, Mark, have at it. Thanks, Brian. We appreciate it. So that's it. We have... In our church statement of our vision and our key values and what we're about, going passionately, right? It's not just going kind of mediocrely. I don't think that's a word, but it's going passionately. So uh, a big part of what we really want to get at the heart at is to say passion underneath this. And sharing Christ, which is the key element, it's what separates going into a mission-driven trip as opposed to something that's just humanitarian. Nothing wrong with the humanitarian. But sharing Christ in word and deed. So both engaging people in discussion and action that lives it out. Something that's functional. And it's not just about the other side of the planet, although that's true, it's the county into the county and to the world. We're, we're connecting all of the elements in front of us, going passionately. Now, church, let me say this to you right now. First of all, I know that this church is very committed as a church to the idea of going passionately. It's something that I'm not saying, and you're going to say, oh, wow, I never thought of that. We should be involved in missions. No, this church is deeply invested in missions. And in fact, it's a very critical element to me. If this church was not, I don't know if I would want to be a part of things here. I hope that's true for you, too, regardless of of what your engagement personally has been. And I also know in our staff, and specifically as Pastor Brian and I have talked, this is a big reason why Pastor Brian came to this community, to this church. Because this church believes in missions. And it matters. And we're about the business of getting out there with the truth in actions and in word, 
passionately engaging people around the globe and right here in our backyard. Now, I'm going to ask you to stop and do this with me right now. What's happening in your mind? Does some of that resonate with you personally? Does that do something inside of you that you're like, yeah. You're like, yeah, I can't wait for this. I want to come along for this. Or maybe on the... Maybe you're kind of, you know, okay, well, this, yeah, it's a good idea. Or maybe you're over here where you're just like, you're already talking yourself out of this sermon. You know what I mean by that. You're saying, yeah, we don't, we don't do enough to take care of our own. We already, this church spends all kinds of crazy money to go do things around the world. I think maybe we're a little over the top. What's happening in your mind? You right now have a chance to kind of engage and decide. And the truth is this. I believe we can make a case for the fact that we definitely should continue in going passionately, sharing Christ in word and deed to the county and the world. And that we should do it intentionally with some strategy. I think that we can make a good case for that. And you get to decide as far as how you're going to engage with it. So, let's think about this. Why should we continue? If you have a Bible with you, you could open to the book of Acts, chapter 10. If not, reach in front of you, grab one of those little black ones right in front there. Charles Spurgeon said this, If there should be one, any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at a white heat, it is concerning missions to the world. Now, Spurgeon was a great pastor. He was a phenomenal teacher of theology and practical living. He was an unbelievable discipler. But Spurgeon said, if we sacrifice everything else, fine, as long as we keep a white-hot fervor about sharing Christ with the world, about missions in the world. So, why should we continue why should we continue going out? Why shouldn't, could we come up with an equation where we say, boy, in the last 10 years, this church has spent number, the X number of thousands of dollars being involved. Haven't we done our part already? And I say, I think not. I think not. I think we should keep going. There would be others that would say, wow, with the internet, with television, with radio and everything else, Can't people, haven't they all heard about it? Isn't it true that there's only a little less than 2% of the world that has never, ever, ever, ever heard the truth of the gospel? So maybe we don't need to keep going, right? No, I think we keep going. And I'll I'll tell you why. And the, the critical element here is because we are sent ones. We are sent into the world to do this. Have you thought about the culture of the gospel when Jesus first came? First of all, Jesus could have picked any time frame in history. He could have come when the internet was here. Have you thought about that? I mean, it was his choice, right? They could have had the internet already. He could have just flown by in a satellite and chucked a bunch of information about the new covenant out the window, right? Jesus could have done that. He didn't. He picked a very strategic time in in history. 
couple of critical elements. First of all, Alexander the Great and the Greeks, about 300 years before Christ, started the process of moving through the entire known world and taking with them the language of Koine Greek, which was a very simple, very strategic, very learnable, and it actually spread as a major language that was throughout the entire known world at the time when Jesus landed. After Alexander the Great, the Romans came, 150 B.C. or so, and started moving around and taking over. The language is already in place, and so the Romans said, what we're going to do is build trade and, and travel. So they built roads and aqueducts, and they started moving around, and people could connect with each other all over the planet. And then Jesus showed up. Now, he could have come, like I said, at a time where he could have used electronics or anything else to share the truth. But the deal is, you know, the last words that Jesus said right in Acts 1, verse 8, he said, you will be witnesses for me. We're going to look at that word a little bit more here in this passage. And you take what you've seen and heard to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all over the whole planet. And he flew. Those are the last words that he said before he went up. It was not, he could have given us any last words, but they were, take it and go. You are now sent officially. Take this and go. And it required the element of humans carrying it. Because of the time frame, because of the culture, because of where we were in development as humanity, human beings had to decide to get in ships and get their place all over the world. Get their truths out there. And that was strategic. Acts chapter 10, I had you turn there. We are sent ones. I want us to read this passage. It's page 778 if you haven't found it in those new Bibles, in the ones in front of you. Now, let me set this up. Cornelius is a man who is a Greek is not a Jew. He has heard things around that are happening in and around Jerusalem and around that area. And he is interested. And so he is wondering what's going on here. Peter is one of the main apostles of Christ. He has just seen Jesus fly, right? And got those last words. And right prior to when Cornelius engages Peter, he gets a vision from God. And God says to him, drops this sheet down with all of these different kinds of foods that Jews are not supposed to touch or eat. And God says to him, go touch and eat. And he's like, no chance. You know me. I'm a good Jew. And God says, things have changed around here. And so in that context, this happens. Peter comes, and as he talked with Cornelius, he entered and he found many people assembled. There's a bunch of people sitting. And Peter said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who's a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit in his home with him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a critical part of the culture of missions. Nobody is disqualified. I don't care how horrific their culture has been to ours. I don't care what they have done to their own people or others around them. I don't care what their religious posture has been. It does not matter. Nobody is unworthy of hearing the gospel. And that dawned on Peter. This is the first time that this is like the new paradigm of how this is going to work. 
Verse 29, that's why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, for what reason have you sent me? Sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Ladies and gentlemen, people often discuss, what about the prayers of people who are not followers of Christ? When people pray and ask God to know the truth, your prayers have been heard. It's clear as it can be. Therefore, send a Joppa, invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we're all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. That's a pretty receptive crowd. Now, is every mission time you go on a mission trip, are people that receptive? Oh man, wouldn't that be great? No, yeah, no, they're not. They're not always that receptive. But listen to the heartbeat of what's going on. And here's what you never know. You never know this. Who is the person that is in that position? You never know. You leave here, you encounter somebody at City Market right here, you encounter somebody in Denver, you encounter somebody in Mexico or Australia. You never know whether that person is the one who has been asking and wanting to hear and is receptive. You do not know that. And if you don't have the heartbeat of Peter who said, I won't consider these people unworthy and I will now go and engage with them. If you won't step in and do that, who's going to tell them? Who? It takes all of us. This was not just a message for Peter. So, Peter kicks into it. Opening his mouth, verse 34, Peter said, I must cer most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears God and does what is right is welcome to him in every nation. For a Jew, this is an unbelievable statement that he would say this. Do you have this in your heart? Every nation. Verse 36, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, he did send it to us, but he brought it, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea. These people were informed of this story, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now that was Jesus' ministry, but look at what Peter says here. We are witnesses of the things that he did. This witnesses is a critical word. It actually was kind of reformed to fit into this New Testament Greek. They took a word that was already existing and reformed it to where it wasn't just a witness like a legal representative in a court of law, but it was a person who had seen something, experienced it, was passionate, and here's the critical element. The word is the root word for martyr. Because the people not only saw it, experienced it, were a part of it, they're willing to die in the recognition of that truth. Now that changes the equation. 
That changes the whole thing. And in fact, the word after that never meant the same because it carries with it this whole idea of I not only believe this, I would sacrifice myself for somebody else to hear this. We are witnesses, verse 41 or 39, we are witnesses of all the things that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all people, but to these witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Now listen to this. And he ordered us to preach. We are sent ones. This is not an option. This is not something that you go, well, maybe it's okay. Maybe we've done our job. We are sent ones. He ordered us to preach to the people, solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. If you would memorize that package, you'd have the complete gospel in a nutshell perfectly to present to someone and say to them, I am a witness. Did you walk there those days 2,000 years ago? No, of course not. Has God through his spirit enlightened you? and given you participation with Peter in this, I sure hope so. We are sent ones. So I ask you a couple of questions about this. Who then benefits the most from missions if we go as sent ones? Do they benefit the most or do we? It's an interesting deal. Because the interesting, interesting part of this whole process is being a sent one, is even though God gave us the calling to be willing to sacrifice our own life for this, the return on that investment is unlike anything else I've ever experienced in my Christian journey. There's nothing like it. The willingness to take the step of faith, to say, I'll go outside of my comfort zone, to try to be prepared as much as possible, yet go with the absolute awareness that you're completely inadequate for the job. The, the willingness to say, this is going to cost me something. I might have to do without cable next month. I don't know what you're willing to sacrifice, but some kind of sacrifice. Everything else that we engage in this, and then you go, and it feels like, boy, I, I'm willing to give, but I don't know that I have that much. Perfect. You're perfectly ready. Because what will happen is they will be so blessed by the humility, by the willingness, by the love, by the courage, by everything else that happens, and they pour back to you in an unbelievable exchange of equation in the Spirit. It's an unbelievable experience. The element of surprise. Sometimes you get caught off guard by things in missions, and I love that. John Julian mentioned that when we were meeting at Iron Hour on Wednesday. He was like, one of the key elements is surprise. And I thought, that's exactly because you don't know what's going to happen. A friend of mine is a missionary in Argentina. And several years ago when he was there with his kids and stuff, they were living and they were at home and doing the normal deal. And, and one of his daughters said, 
hey, Dad, we're kind of playing with, like, doing makeup and stuff. And he's like, well, I don't want any makeup on, you know. But she said, well, can I paint your toenails? And he's like, whatever, okay, you know, it's no big deal. It's his daughter. So she paints the toenails a bunch of different multicolored things and whatever. And then it's late at night, and he's kind of feeling lazy. And he's like, well, I'm not going to mess with the polish remover. So he just goes to bed, gets up in the morning goes in. You can hear what's happening. There's a conference with a bunch of pastors from around Argentina. What do you think is the first thing they're going to do at the conference? Foot washing. <laughs> yeah. So he shows up. Surprise! <laughs> he survived it. They didn't throw him out. And it's obviously a great story. But that happens in missions. Surprise, the element of uncertainty. Mano, who was the pastor down in Haiti, told us this. When you missionaries come, because I asked him, Mano, why, why do you keep doing these? He said, when you missionaries come, it gives me a push. There's an exchange. It's not a, a complete evening out, and that's our next concept here. But there is an exchange. The next thought is this. First of all, we're sent. Second of all, we have an opportunity to share in the burden of the need. If you want to start the flip over to Romans, it's just a couple pages to your right in there, very, just a few pages. Romans chapter 5. We get to share in the burden of the need. The, the current standard of poverty, the poverty level, is equal to $1.25 U.S. per day available to a person. person who's like, So we're talking, you know, 45 bucks a month, 40 bucks a month. If a person has less than that available to them, they are considered below the poverty line. 52% of the people that live in the continent of Africa live below that line. Are you getting your mind around that? A whole continent of people that more than half of them live with less than 40, the equivalency of $40 U.S. per month? Now, I'm going to ask you this question. I asked the Iron Hour guys this the other day. Whose fault is that? That's a tough one, isn't it? Well, our immediate response is, well, it's not my fault. I'm not saying it's your fault, because it isn't your fault. It's not your fault that you're an American either. But whose fault is that? The reality, ladies and gentlemen, is this. God is fully aware of the inequality that it's not fair. God's fully aware of that. He's aware of the disparity. Jesus himself commented to his disciples, you'll always have the poor around with you. Really? Couldn't Jesus, seriously, go back to the equation of Jesus showing up. Couldn't he have said, socialism for everybody, everybody gets the same. Jesus could have done that. He didn't remotely do that. Why? There's the question. Why? Is it possible that the vacuum is there so that those with plenty get the opportunity to share? Stop and just think that through with me. If everybody had the same, then where's the opportunity for anybody to move towards anybody else? Is it possible that God, it's not your fault, made you an American 
in this time frame, with the resources that you have, I bet most of you live on more than 40 bucks a month. The resources that you have available because the vacuum is there and we get to move towards the vacuum, share in the need. It makes sense because it gives it, it's a vehicle, it's a connection point, it's an opportunity for us to go as those who bring Christ in word and deed. We get to do something for someone. It's an opportunity to share. Look at this passage in Romans 5, and I, I hope I can explain a little bit more about what goes on here in a, uh, at a theological level. Romans 5, 1. I've got to flip over here in my crazy thing. So Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, remember, that's the key pinning underneath this. Justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand. Faith, grace, justification, these are all hooked underneath. Now watch what happens here. We exult in hope. That is, we celebrate the hope and the glory of God. And not only this, but we celebrate or exult in our tribulations. Really? Okay, I'm going to ask you this as an American. How many Americans in their tribulations, first of all, they love to tell you about it, right? And there's whole reality TV shows filled with it. Their tribulations, like I feel bad for Snooky. Okay? So, whole cultures built on us whining about our tribulations. How many Americans do you know that are celebrating their struggles? We exult, Peter, or Paul says, this is one of the other good missionaries, by the way, Paul. We exult in our tribulations. Now look at this. This is very linear. This is very intentional. Knowing that our tribulation brings about perseverance, and our perseverance brings proven character, and our proven character brings hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Do you hear what this linear thing is? Faith, grace, justification, underpinning, a sense of an ability to exalt, to celebrate tribulation. Why? Not for the sake because you're a masochist, but celebrating tribulation because tribulation brings perseverance and perseverance brings character and character builds hope. And I want to tell you something. When I have been in third world places in particular where there's great poverty and need and the vacuum is huge, I experience more character, hope, perseverance than I hardly ever experience in the United States. I'm just being honest with you. There is a depth because they can't just change their circumstances. And they're not sitting around waiting for somebody to come in and wave their wand and fix it for them. They realize, wait, these tribulations, these difficulties, these struggles, whether it's, can I even get enough to survive tomorrow? Or the violence, are they going to come into my home and kill my family tonight? They're, they're, so how do you survive that? As Americans, we would go, 
oh my goodness, where's my government? Or I don't know, what would we do? Because we don't live like that. They live in a sense of day after day of that awareness. And what do they do? When there's faith, they develop a sense of perseverance. Like, I can go through this. And the perseverance builds a depth of character that provides a hope that is the most genuine hope you'll ever experience in your life. And it is profound. It's profound. Who gets the most in missions trips? I promise you, we do. When you're talking this type of an exchange, depth of character, profound hope experience it. Unlike any, I don't know any other venue. I don't know any other mechanism of how to experience that outside of missions, outside of your culture. Profound. So what can we do? Fill the need? No. It's not about the exchange of filling the need up. It's about we share in the need, they share their what they have learned, and there's a cross-pollinization that's perfect. Mother Teresa said this, What I do, you cannot do. But what you do, I cannot do. The needs are great. And none of us, no matter how much we can do, can do enough. But we can all do small things with great love. Small things with great love. And together we can do something that is wonderful. Why does that statement matter? If I said that, you'd go, well, that's kind of a nice statement. When Mother Teresa said that? This is a person who saw the need and didn't get discouraged by it, also didn't feel the impossible job of having to fill it all in. She said, here's what I can do. I can do something small with great love, and it's wonderful. So, just a couple of thoughts now, moving forward. A few more minutes. This is what I hope for you to walk away with in a little more practical sense. And that is what we, as Dillon Community Church, are trying to accomplish. A set of ideas, some some critical elements that we're saying, since we are sent ones, and we have, and our, our opportunity is to share in the burden of that need, then how do we do that? What do we have in mind? Here's a couple of things. First of all, everybody entry. It is a critical element. If I could, I would go and talk to every single one of you and work out the detail so that every single one of you could do something outside of your day-to-day business and go experience another culture in a mission trip. Everybody. Age doesn't matter. Ability doesn't matter. Everybody. If we could, that's our desire. We're even looking at opportunities and trying to make sure that from a financial standpoint, from the engagement of what it takes, how much time, everything else, we give opportunity for people to go. A couple of critical elements. If you can cross language, go to a place where you're not in your comfortable language, it changes everything. And if you can go where there's poverty, it changes everything. But not always can all of the trips provide that opportunity. But there still are opportunities. And it can start with the food bank. And it can start here in Summit County. Or it could be Honduras or France. Everybody entry. I 
one of my favorite stories that I witnessed happen. I was, we were building houses in Mexico, and I went kind of walking by, and I saw one of our older gentlemen, kind of a sergeant guy, standing with a middle school girl, Chelsea, and he could tell she's trying to run the chop saw. Now, you know, a, a cutoff saw can be a dangerous deal. But he patiently, and I just stood there for a second and watched them, as he patiently taught her how to put the piece of wood against the back of the fence, get the blade spin in, put the blade in, how to hit the line, and every, and he just taught her this. And I thought to myself, what other kind of venues do you get where you have these opportunities for people with such different places on the continuum? This older man, when is he going to hang out with a middle school girl, you know, and get this kind of an opportunity? And it was beautiful because everybody in. The second critical element is this. We want to connect the dots. We're trying to make sure that we find things that connect and build partnerships. If you read, again, all of those New Testament letters were written by missionaries. Have you ever thought about that? But all of us, for sure, Paul's letters were often back to the churches he went to. And he referred to them as partnerships in the gospel. It was much deeper than just a drive-by shooting for Paul. It was something that he was engaged in, and he viewed them as partnerships. We're trying to develop things that are sustainable, things that have more of a sense of, of a connection and investment over a longer period of time. This, to see the response in Haiti, which we'll give a full report on next week, and to feel that partnership over a period of time is a very rewarding thing for both of us, for them and for us. That part of that sustainability, you've been wondering all hour why I have all these crazy things up here. I bring these because I bring them back from different places because they're reminders for me. We have written right on our communion table, do this in remembrance of me. I don't know about you, I have a leaky brain. Okay, I forget about Haiti sometimes. But I'll see something in my office or in my house, and it'll remind me. My favorite one is this one, because only the Germans would do this. This is a beer stein with all of the 12 apostles on it. <laughs> only the Germans, you know. Is that awesome or what? So... I love to find the ones that have some character or something that expresses a little bit about what's going on in the different places and their reminders. And it helps create a longer term of sustainability. We're in the middle of fasting and praying. And ladies and gentlemen, you can do that for Haiti, for Uganda, for Honduras, for Chiapas, for Bags, Wyoming. You can do that anytime, anywhere. And in fact, Brian, our pastor, would love for you to take that warfare prayer and inject specific elements to say, and I pray this for those guys too. We can do that. The third thing is integration. We're looking for ways to symbiotically make sure that different ministries can get involved and will connect to a single point. When I took one trip to southern Mexico years ago, it finally dawned on me because it was, it was a youth group trip and we were going to build a playground for kids at an orphanage. So I thought, well, it's a youth group trip. What was awesome was how people, the lightning rod goes up, and people from all the ministries in the church started saying, hey, our small group wants in on that, or our men's ministry wants in on that, or these guys want in on that, and everybody rallies to this common point. 
And we're looking for opportunities that are outreach, that bring a symbiosis. And in fact, the, the missions committee has put together a whole matrix that they're continuing to work on and upgrade on the website that allows for people to see how there's connection between things in the ministries. And the last thing is this, passion projection. If you're able to go, which I want you to, and God has sent you, and there's plenty of need. I hope I don't have to say any more. But anyway, so if you're able to go, there's something that happens that infuses you with a passion that you can't get in, in any other way. Um, my friend Mike, not too long ago, we were talking about how after his wife went on a, her first-time mission trip and came back, he said, I did not get the same wife back. Something was significantly deeper inside of her, the passion. We talk, our vision, going passionately. You want to catch some passion. If you feel like, man, I'm just kind of bored and kind of doing the same thing. If you need a little passion, go on a mission trip. Because the people will get into you. Mono, Pastor Mono in Haiti said, he said, you know, this isn't fair because what will happen is you will fall in love with Haiti. And he's right. I sat in the church service and looked around at all the blocks, all the white people spread around watching this church service down there. And every one of them was wiping tears. And you want to know why? Because they love the people. They love what's happening. There's passion and so we're hoping to spread, to, to project the passion so that the congregation in this church and around our community can feel that this is what it's about. And Mother Teresa said, "If a life without service to others has no purpose whatsoever. And it makes sense. Great passion. So my challenge to you, you've heard it. You know we're sent you know that the need is there. And you know that you have the opportunity to share in the need. You know that. You may take some, it may take you some cost, but I encourage every one of you to consider. Consider missions, how you can be a part, reaching out with passion, going passionately, sharing Christ with others in word and deed, right here, doing the same thing at the food bank that you do in Haiti but go to Haiti too. Stand together if you would. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the resources that we do have. Thank you for blessing me. I am embarrassed with the amount of opportunity that I've had to go and invest in the lives of others and build partnerships around the world. But I am so thankful what a difference it has made for me and what a difference it has made for them and how you work in that marvelous way. Challenge each one of us to raise the bar even just a little. This is a church of missions, and I'm so thankful. So there is no condemnation or judgment here. But we can all be challenged to the next step and to consider the next opportunity. As we meet here with an opportunity for students to go to France and for anyone uh, student age and up to go to Honduras this summer. Um, may some people actually be spurred on and encouraged to consider those opportunities. 
Thank you for the passion that you gave to us, the passion that Peter, Paul, and Silas, and Barnabas, and James, and John had, and help us to be willing to spread that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So go into the world and spread the gospel this week. Thanks. Have a great day. Be blessed. Honduras meeting right across the hall and the France meeting upstairs in the youth room. Thank you all.